Well, I've got a grocery bag over here. You're probably wondering what that's about. Well, we sat out on a mission recently in my home, and that was that we were going to save money on groceries. Now, this is not an advertisement for Audi. Is that how I say that? But I'm willing to advertise them. Man, they're awesome. I love that place. I love that place. Well, you know, so Nancy and I are looking at our budget, and I, you know, we're going through with a fine-tooth comb, and I'm like, you know, there's just too much money being spent on one particular item, and that was Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Okay. Are you a fan of cinnamon toast crunch? Oh yeah. It's to kill for actually to die eating is what it really is a matter of, but that's a good cereal. Is it not? Well, let me just fill you a little clue. You probably didn't know this, but there at Audi's for $1 and 39 cents, you can buy some of this. Now it's not cinnamon toast crunch granted. Okay. But it is cinnamon crunch squares. Okay. Now, this item is like $4, okay? And my kids will eat this in a morning, you know? They'll eat this whole box of cereal in the morning. And I saw this for $1.39. And I was like, hey, I got to get my hands on this. I need some of this stuff. So I brought it home, okay, and put it in the cabinet. And sure enough, I waited there to watch what would happen when they opened up their box of cinnamon crunch squares, out they stumble, you know, sit down at the breakfast table. They open up the box. They pour it out into the bowl, okay? And you can see their, their, their faces, you know, as they're, they're asleep. And they lift up that spoon and place it in their mouth. And there's the utter look of disgust. You know that look? You know, when you, when you are expecting cinnamon toast crunch, but you get cinnamon crunch squares, They're not the same, are they? They're just not the same. So Nancy and I became involved in the dirty, very nasty underworld of counterfeiting. (laughs) So for six months, for six months, you know what we did? You know. Oh, yeah. All the parents in the room, they know this little game well, right? You take this out, it's very easy, and you put this in. There you go, man. Enjoy your cinnamon toast crunch. Now, I was better than that. I was better than that. What I did was, I took the cinnamon toast crunch, okay? I went to Martin's, bought a brand new box. We have a great big mixing bowl. I poured in one, I poured in the other, and then I mixed it all up. And then put it in the bag and slipped it in there. For six months, they did not know. And I slowly, I slowly decreased the amount of the Cinnamon Toast Crunch and increased the amount of the Cinnamon Crunch Squares till one day they didn't know it, but they were eating 100% Cinnamon Crunch Squares. Score for me and mom, right? Well, one day, I, I mean, we would laugh about this, Nancy and I, you know, we'd be laughing at the, <laughs> and finally we came out, we said, we got to tell you guys the truth. We got to tell you the truth. You haven't been eating Cinnamon Toast Crunch. You've been eating Cinnamon Crunch Squares. And, and they're both, you know, all the whole family, we knew it. We knew something was wrong. Now, I bring up that story because I want to talk about 
sex. What? Where'd that come from? I want to talk about the counterfeit that's going on in our world. We are under a barrage, folks. We are under a barrage today. And the barrage is really pointed at in Ephesians chapter 5. Open up your Bible with me to Ephesians 5. I want us to see through the counterfeit of what the world and Satan and this system is selling us in the name of sex. And I want us to understand that this area of our life is outside of God's plan on many occasions and destroying lives. Absolutely destroying lives. I'm in Ephesians chapter 5, okay? And I want to read what we talked about last week because it's a beautiful lead-in to our topic for today. I'm in verse number 1 of Ephesians 5. Let's start reading there. It says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now let's just pause there for a minute and see what the Spirit of God is doing. The Spirit of God has brought up for us Jesus. It brought Jesus to our minds and his work on the cross when in love he went to the cross and died for our sins. So this is the expression of what love is. God of the universe sacrificing himself for the good of others. It is the quintessential picture of what love is. Jesus at the cross dying for someone else for their good. But it's amazing what the Spirit of God does next. Instantly from verse 2 to 3, we have this contrast that is drawn out. It started with the word but. We're drawing a contrast here. And we now go right into the area of sexual morality. Now that might freak some of you out. Okay? It might freak some of you out. That we're talking about Jesus and now we're talking about sex? Well, first of all, relax. He invented it. Okay? It was his idea. It's his design. And he uses it for his purpose. But we got to recognize that there is a counterfeit for sale. Let's read what it says first. Verse number three. But sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or, or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, and before we get into verse 3, I just want to remind you of the empty words that are being pushed on us. The Boston Globe, they use the term the portification of America. This was an article they wrote in 2014 as it described what is happening to the America 
the American culture and called it the pornification of America. Listen what it says. Not long ago, pornography was a dark profession. Its products created and consumed in the shadows, but it has steadily elbowed its way into the limelight with an impact that can be measured not just by the internet-fed feed of pornography itself, but by the way that aspects of the pornography sensibility now inform movies, videos, fashions, magazines, and celebrity culture. Even cooking shows, this article goes on to describe, the Food Network contain distinct parallels with the cinematography, the dialogue, and the body language of pornography, and it goes on to explain it, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Al Mohler, a a great Christian thinker, he calls what we're currently experiencing the sexual revolution and says that we're in a cultural crisis and he said this, until recently I would have agreed that the, that the sexual revolution is nothing new. But he says this, it has become clearer and clearer to me that the issue of sexuality today really is different. American Christians are experiencing things that believers never have in the past. We need to address this issue. Here's an article. Josh McDowell, you know that name? He says, prepare your kids to face the dangers of pornography. Josh McDowell, by age five. By age five. He said, parents, particularly, I don't know why he chooses to say this. This is not about this issue, but I'm quoting him. In his experience, parents, particularly homeschooling Christian parents, are delusional if they think they can somehow completely protect their children from pornography. The sad reality is that they will see it and that they are seeing it at alarmingly young ages. Here comes his quote. I always tell parents, Josh McDowell, a, a solid Christian man, 77 years old, written many books, Evidence that demands a verdict. This man is a, he is a, he is a bulwark of Christian thinking. I always tell parents by five years old, you better have your child prepared. We're under attack. There's a comparison, a contrast that we see here. We have the love of Christ on one side, and we have the lusts of the world on the other. It's the best that God has to offer. The love of Christ, the best that God has to offer in one corner. And in the other corner, the worst that the culture, that the world has to offer, the lust of the flesh. Listen, listen, as I thought through them this week, comparing them, as I see in Ephesians, that that's happening. Sexual immorality versus the love of Christ. The love of Christ was about sacrifice and humility. It was about forgiveness. It was about freedom. But the lust of the flesh, it's about selfishness and pride and guilt and greed and slavery to sin. So I thought about today. I thought, you know, there's really three groups of people that are probably sitting in front of me today. 
And let me just let me just say a word to all three. First of all, there are some of you that you are enslaved in the area of sexuality. You're probably hiding it from people. It may look like a computer screen. It may look like private meetings that nobody else knows about. It may live just simply in the matter between your ears. But there are some in this room that are enslaved to sexual sin. I want you to know that there is freedom. There is freedom for you. You can be set free from pornography, from sexual morality. That when, when Paul wrote that we are free in Christ, free, he was speaking of these kinds of things, sexual sin. Second group, there are some of you that quite honestly, this isn't really an issue for you. This isn't an issue for you. The area of sexuality is something that, you, you, honestly, when you hear somebody like myself talk about it, you just, you're like, I just don't get that. I just don't get it. Okay, my call to you is be humble. Be humble. And also guard yourself. Galatians 6 says, restore gently and then be on, car, be on guard. Be warned lest you fall into a similar temptation. The area of sexual sin may never come after you. It may never chase you down, but be humble. And then to a third group, there are some of you that are kind of on the fence. You're on the fence. You hear what the culture is saying. You hear the lies being just shouted out at us on screens, in writing, everywhere about sexuality. And listen, be warned. We are, we are told here not to allow these people who are saying these things to deceive us with empty words. God designed sexuality. He is the one who created this thing. He knows what is best for us as his creatures. It's not, listen, it's not that your desires are too strong. It's not that you have a desire that's so much stronger. And if, lo, if you just understood how strong my desire is, you would give me grace. You would understand. That's not the problem. The problem isn't that your desire is too strong. C.S. Lewis, John Piper, Jonathan Edwards all said this. Your problem is your desire is too weak. It's too weak. You're willing to settle for a counterfeit. This. You're willing to settle for the lie. The counterfeit. The image on a screen. The hidden meeting at some hotel room in some foreign town. When you could be experiencing what God intended. Forgiveness. Fellowship with God. The union of a husband and a wife. So let's take this apart and understand it. 
So we've seen here in Ephesians, and I put some verses on the screen. I don't have time to talk about all of them, but let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5, and let's, let's start out and understand some terms. We need to understand some terms because there's lies being purported out there that we need to be able to, to, to really respond to. In verse number 3, it says this, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not have been named among you. I want to start out and talk about the counterfeits. I want, to talk out, I want to talk briefly about the counterfeits of immorality and impurity, okay? So let's talk about what this means. Now, that word sexual immorality is translated a lot of different ways in different translations. It can be translated fornication, sexual sin, immorality, or sexual immorality. And basically, here's what it means. Here's what it means. Let me start out with a very child-friendly definition, Okay? Sexual morality, the Greek word is pornea. You might recognize that base word. Pornea is your word. Sexual morality is one word in the Greek, pornea. Okay? And one person defined it for children like this. Let me try to find it. It is when two people, unmarried, act as if they are in defining that for children. And I thought, you know what? That's a pretty good definition. When two people who are not married act as if they are. Now that's a very basic definition. Let's develop it a little bit. We need to. The word pornea, as I said, sexual immorality, immorality, fornication, sexual sin. It is, it is, it is actually, in all reality, it is simply any sexual activity outside the bounds of a loving, God-honoring marriage between a husband and a wife. Any sexual activity outside the bounds of a loving relationship between a husband and a wife. So it covers a whole range of sexual sin. It covers premarital sex. It covers extramarital sex. It covers any form of homosexuality. It covers all kinds of wicked things. I'd rather not even go into the, 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 the damaging aspect to describe. It is any sexual activity outside the bounds of a loving husband and his wife. That's it. Now we've got to be aware of what that word means. Because there is a lie out there. There is a lie. And if, if you get all your information from the internet, you see it all the time. Let me show you an example of the lie. Let's put that up on the screen, please. All right, here's a, here's a nice little slide that I found on Google, okay? You know, it's amazing how those who are really putting out lies do it in such an attractive way. And so here's a flow chart that is supposedly to be for your help. I know you can't read it, so I'll help you, okay? I'm going to read for you the left-hand side. Here's what it says. So you still think homosexuality is sinful, and therefore, gay shouldn't be allowed to marry. If yes, if you think yes, you're to follow the little chart to the left and answer the question, why? See it there? And the first, que- the first answer to the question, why, is because Jesus said so. So it's as if the, the person who defined this said, so you think homosexuality is sin? Well, why? And if you say the reason is because Jesus said so, here's their answer. It says this. Not true. Now, this is what this chart says. Jesus never uttered a word about same-sex relationships. Now, folks, that is an absolute lie. 
That is a complete ignorance, I believe, willful ignorance in the understanding of the Greek language. When Jesus said poor Nia, and he did, as many other New Testament authors referring to, they spoke of poor Nia. They understood that definition to be, it is the definition of the word, any sexual activity outside the loving relationship between a husband and his wife. That's pornea. So to say that Jesus never spoke to homosexuality is a complete lie. It, it, is, it is a willful decision that I will not allow a word to mean what it means. And so then it goes on to say this below that. So if you still choose to hold that position, listen to the attack. Have fun living in your sexist, chauvinistic, judgmental, xenophobic lifestyle choice. The rest of culture will advance forward without you. Now, this is not a kick a Google image day, all right? That's not what we're here to do. You need to be equipped to understand When people tell you that Jesus never referenced homosexuality, he never never referenced pornography, he never referenced pedophilia, you need to know that is a lie. When Jesus said pornea, it was a broad term for any sexual activity outside a love relationship between a husband and wife. Now, if you want to see more about this, I left a document over there, okay? It's my document. Please, if you read it, don't make fun of the spelling errors and the grammar mistakes. You'll get over that, okay? It's 12 different places in your New Testament that call out homosexuality as sin. I wrote this probably three years ago because so many people were telling us that that wasn't the case, that the Bible never referenced homosexuality. It's over there. You're welcome to grab it, okay? Read it. I would encourage you to do this. Don't hand that to somebody else. Don't do that. You read it. If you want to talk to somebody about what's written there, you talk to them about it. Okay? Don't read it to them. You study God's word and you should. Do not take them that document in hand and say, this is what my pastor said. Please don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. I'm giving that to you. You might read it. So back to the passage. Sexual morality and all impurity. Okay? So let's talk about impurity. Now, impurity is a little more broader term. It's a broader term, okay? And and the word literally means dirty. It means infected. It means impure. The the cognate of this word, so another word related to it, was a word used for demons, unclean demons. So what we have here is sexual immorality. Pornea, all sexual sin, all relationships, sexual relationships outside that of a loving husband and wife, and impurity. So what impurity is in this, in this context, impurity is that whole aspect of your thinking, of your attitude, of your heart that leads up to sexual immorality. Does that make sense? Sexual immorality, pornea, is the act It is the act of sexual sin. Impurity is all that messy garbage that happens in your brain and your heart as you lead up to it. And Paul, the Spirit of God, combines these two together because they always come as one. 
They always come as one. You can find this. Tell you what, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 with me. I want you to see what, what I'm referring to here. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to see an example of pornea. This is uh, less an issue of incestual sex and more an issue of extramarital sex. First Corinthians chapter 5. See what it says. Verse number 1. It is actually reported, Paul writes, to the church in Corinth, to the church, to the believers, the so-called believers, he says in verse number 11. The so-called believers. It is actually reported that there is sexual morality among you. Pornea, there it is. Okay, so at this point, this could have been any sexual activity outside that between a loving husband and wife. Okay, but Paul describes it. And of the kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. So even in people around you, they don't, keep up, they don't put up with this. For a man has his father's wife. The terminology there leads most people to believe that this individual's father remarried and the son then entered into a sexual relationship with the father's new wife, an extramarital sexual relationship. That is pornea. That's pornea. But I want you to see the impurity. It's in verse number two. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. That's impurity. That's impurity. See, impurity is this heart, brain thing that goes on that is drawn to these unclean acts. So impurity would include things as pornographic images and words. It would include immodest behavior and dress. It would include sexual entertainment like the adult entertainment clubs and and the sexual humor of movies and sitcoms. It's It's the whole ugly ball of wax that surrounds the acts of pornea. You get it? So you have the heart that accepts and is drawn to the mind that is fed by it. And you have the actions where it's followed through on. Ephesians 5, go back there. Paul says that, sec- and, and by the way, see the comparison here. He just talked about the love of Christ. Now he's talking about the lust of the flesh. Drawing this comparison. Jesus is about love. Pornea is about self. Jesus is about loving somebody. Impurity is about feeding myself. And what's interesting about it is he says sexual morality and all impurity or covetousness. Now I want you to understand something here. A little bit of a grammar lesson, okay? We have some conjunctions here, all right? We have some conjunctions. Notice sexual morality and impurity. So here are two things. Or, or now, change of conjunction. Covetousness or greed. So what's happening is the Spirit of God is calling pornea, sexual morality, and impurity, calling those things greed. 
They are greed. They're accelerated by greed. What is greed? Greed is a desire to have more. I must have more. And sexual morality and impurity can never be satisfied. Listen, it's a lie when you tell yourself you're just going to glance once. It's a lie. It's not going to happen. Greed is going to attack. It's a lie when you tell yourself, we'll just do this one more time. And then we're turning a whole new leaf over. No. It's a lie. Because this thing is motivated and accelerated and empowered by covetousness or greed. Let me give you hope. Put it up on the screen, next, next passage. I want to tell you, if you have an issue in this area of sexual morality or impurity, I'm telling you, you absolutely must memorize this passage of Scripture. Everybody right now, everybody, everybody, I don't care who you are. I want you all right now, take a piece of paper on your worship notes in your Bible. I want you to write down 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 8. Everybody write it down. Everybody. Please, everybody. Everybody. Please, everybody. Okay? So you're not the only one writing it down. Notice that? Everybody's writing it down. Okay? Memorize this. Walk through it with me. It is God's will that you should avoid sexual morality. That's pornea. God will you be sanctified, sorry, and that you should avoid sexual morality. That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother. See the lack of love? Or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for such sins, all of them, as we've already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, there's our other word, you see it, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. There's the source. Now, the thing about this Sin, and, and I encourage you to memorize this, because, not because, listen, this is about knowledge. God's Spirit will use His Word to conform you to the image of His Son. Jesus in John 17, 17, you can write that reference down too if you want to check it. He said, God, praying for us, He said, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. God will sanctify us. By the power of his word, when we by faith place this passage in our hearts, it now combats, there's a battle now in my heart. Purity versus impurity. See it? And God's spirit will win. God's spirit will win in that battle. Purity is simply living to the original standard. That's all purity means. So we are to live against this impurity now. And fill our hearts and minds with this truth. Okay, go back to Ephesians 5 if you haven't done that already. I just want to I, I say again, although I've already hit it several times, that this thing is empowered by greed and you cannot, you will not leave the bondage of this sin in your own power. You will not. You will not. 
because it is motivated by the flesh and by the greed thereof, and you will hunger for more, and there's nothing sadder, there's nothing that breaks a person's heart more. In my mind, than me and a friend of mine in the streets of Kaiser watching his old man dad walk into the pornographic store on the main street of Kaiser and my friend look at me and shake his head and say, I don't know what's wrong with my dad. There's nothing sadder than a mature man or woman who's so wrapped up in the greed of pornea and so wrapped up in the greed of impurity that they cannot get off. Well, let's see what Paul has to say, okay? Let's keep going. How are we doing on time? All right. Verse 3b, okay? So these things not even should not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And then he says... Let there be no filthiness, no fool, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Now, first of all, this not even named means not even a hint of, okay? That's what it basically means, all right? We're looking now that sin's defeat is, is going to be made evident in this passage. We're going to see that the defeat of sin is done by Christ on the cross through his spirit in our lives. And believers are empowered by grace. The, the greed of sexual sin is empowered there by covetousness. But now we're going to see that grace will empower us who are in Christ. And the sin is defeated. It not, not even to be named among us. So what this means is a little bit is not okay. A little bit is not okay. We know this in any other arena. The word impurity that Paul uses in verse 3 was also used for an infected wound. Okay? It was, it was the word for a, for, a, for a wound filled with pus. It was a word for the pus. I, mean, I don't mean to gross you out, but for the pus that's running out of an infected wound. That's that same word, impurity. Now, there's no way you'd settle with a little bit of that, right? You wouldn't settle with a little bit of that. Oh, just a little bit of that pus dropped into your whatever. I don't want to gross you out, or me either. I might gag. We wouldn't, be, we wouldn't be okay with that. It's the same thing here. It ought not to even be named among you. Now, why? I, just, I thought this, this week about why. First of all, notice it's called idolatry. Okay? Notice it says there, look down a little bit further, all right, that this thing is called idolatry in verse number five. Why is it idolatry? What is, what is an idolatrous activity? An, an idol, an, an idolatrous activity is when you come before some other thing than God and I give it my best in hopes that it will return back to me. And so I bow before this image or I bow before this person and I give them my best. I give them what I have and I say, oh, please feed me back. It's idolatry. Another reason why it ought not to even be named is it is ungodly. It is ungodly. God designed sex. 
It, the, the chief means, or the chief, I'm sorry, reason for sex was procreation, but is also for the glorification of God. That was his plan. And so when we mess with that, we are engaged in an ungodly activity. Thirdly, it is unloving. It is unloving. Listen, ladies, because let me tell you the biggest lie that every single male tries to pull on you. Here's what he says. I'm telling you, I've heard it a dozen times. Some of you husbands are going to be convicted by what I'm getting ready to say, and you can apologize after church. Okay? Here it is. Oh, if we could, we'd be married. If only we were out of debt, if only we were a little older, if only we were this, whatever. We could be married. So ready? Here it comes, right? You know what I'm going to say, right? So in God's eyes, we really are. Listen, when he or she says that, will you please do him a favor? Do me a favor. Say, Pastor Lowell told me you'd say that. That'll freak him out, right? That's a lie. That's a lie. You don't love her. When you have sex with her outside of marriage, you don't love her. You are using her. You are using her. Why do I call it use? Why isn't it love? I thought it was a great expression of love. No, it's not. What are you offering her? You are offering her an unwanted pregnancy. You are offering her sexual diseases. You are offering her a life of guilt. You are offering her an expression of selfishness that will haunt her until she is with the Lord. You're not loving her. You are hating her. You're loving yourself. Now, I'm a male, so I use the pronoun her. It also applies to the ladies in the room, right? It is unloving. And another reason why it ought not to be named among us, now, this one applies to us. I know a lot of you are married, And all the single people are like, oh, yeah, it's real easy for you. It's real easy for you. I've heard that a lot of times, too. It's not any easier. Another reason why it ought not to be named is it's destructive. It's destructive. I'm going to tell you another lie that gets said all the time. Okay, here it comes. Well, all sin is equal. I commit this sexual sin and you speed. So it's all the same, really, in God's eyes. People say that all the time. It isn't true. It isn't true. First of all, unrepentant sin leads a person straight to hell. You realize that, right? When I have cherished sin that I will not release, I will not yield it, I will defend it. I will say, it is okay. You are wrong. God didn't mean that. Paul was a chauvinist. Paul was anti-homosexual. That's a lie. When I speak that way, I call that cherished sin. That is unrepentant heart towards sin. And that sin damns. When we come to Christ, we don't have to list every sin we ever committed. I understand that. But there's a yieldedness to him. You are my Lord. There's a yieldedness to him that says, if you say it's wrong, then I will, I will follow you. If you say it's right, I will follow you. I'm just your slave. You are my master. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Unrepentant sin. We, we cannot say it's the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. Unrepentant sin damns. Unconfessed sin in your life just destroys your fellowship with God. 
your fellowship with your spouse, your fellowship with your church, and you don't even know it. You don't even know it. You know that? Some people walk so long out of fellowship with God, they don't know any different. They've been walking in, in just slavery to sexual sin. They think this is how it is for everybody. This is just how it is for everyone. We're all walking around lusting after everybody. We're all walking around checking out her or checking out him. That's just how everybody lives, right? No. That's not how everybody lives. You're believing a lie. You're believing a lie. Paul wrote in Romans 6 that we are slaves to sin before we came to Christ. But now we are slaves to righteousness. So it's a lie It's a lie that you have to do this. It's a lie that you're going to keep doing this, that it's just who you are, that that you fit. That's a lie. And then lastly, I want to show you this different. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 with me. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I think I'll end with this. You know, the beautiful thing about this morning was I had seriously about four or five sermons to preach, but I knew that I could stretch it over two weeks, okay? So we're going to have a stopping point here in just a minute. But I want you to see 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I think this is a great place to end today because it will do a couple things. Before I even read it, I want to tell you where I'm going with it, okay? First of all, I want you to see that it's a lie that sexual sin is the same or no big deal, or not really that much of an issue. I want you to see that. Secondly, I want you to see how God truly feels about pornea. And I want us to see how God truly feels about cherished sexual sin. And thirdly, I want you to see the hope that there is in Christ to free you from the slavery of sin. 1 Corinthians 6, let's read it. Verse number 9. I think I might have it on the screen, maybe. Maybe not. I'm sorry. No. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You've got to listen real good. Or do you not know, Paul writes, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Don't, don't listen to this lie. Don't listen to the lie. Neither the sexually immoral... That's the practicers of pornea, the idolaters, the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. Now let me tell you about list. List in the Bible, unless they're specifically said to be exhaustive, are not. This is not an exhaustive list. The the point of this is not to give us a list of every single thing that is pornea. The real point of this list is to speak to the condition of people's hearts. The condition of people who practice this sin, who defend it, who cherish it. And it gives just a sampling of what those things can look like. But all these things... All these individuals who are practicing this, who are defending this, who are living this, who are characterized by this, who are this. They are swindlers. They are adulterers. They are idolaters. They are greedy. They are drunkards. They are thieves. They are practicing homosexuality. Practicing homosexuality. They are adulterers. They are sexual immoral. All these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a heavy passage. 
I want you to pause. I want you to feel it. And now I want to read verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, here's the dirty, rotten truth that none of us really want to admit. Every single person in this room at one point in their life was a practicer of pornea. Every one of you. I looked, you look very pretty. You're all dressed up, look really nice, very respectable. But every single one of us were practicers of pornea. We were all impure. We all committed adultery in our heart. We've all been thieves. We've all been greedy. We've all been swindlers. We've all done all these things. But those who have come under the grace of God were ready in humility to turn to Christ and say, I am a sinner. Forgive me. Be my Lord. I will be yours. I will be your creature. You be my Lord. Take me as yours. And he does. That's the power of the name of Christ. He forgives and he restores. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the truth. Thank you for the name of Christ that brings us forgiveness. God, I pray for the one that's enslaved today. My heart breaks for them, Lord. I know that battle well. And Lord, I pray you would deliver them from the power of the flesh, from the power of the world, from the power of Satan. I pray that they would turn from this wicked sin and turn to you, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for your grace that justifies, for your grace that sanctifies, for your grace that washes sin away. And it is in your name that we have hope, that we have forgiveness, and that we pray to you. Amen.